0: Have a seat. We're dismissing children's church at this time. They'll rejoin us as a reminder. They'll rejoin us. We'll give them an opportunity to to come and be back here and, and that way everybody that's working and volunteering in children's church will be able to participate in the Lord's Supper as we get to that. All right. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about how God is King, Jesus is King, and, and we see this picture of of His of His kingdom expanse throughout all of of these different aspects of life. And this morning, we're no exception. We're going to pick right up um, in the vein of that same thinking, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that that will help us to see. Jesus is king over our behavior, all the things that are a part of our life. Um, so before we get to the reading, I want to give you just a little background. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses, you know, 1 and 2, but we're going to later look at some passages in Exodus, and I'm going to skip back over to Romans chapter 12 and then read some more out of it. But there's a picture here that, that's something you should know. If you've not studied the book of Romans extensively, then there's something you need to know. And that is that the people that that one of... Our king's very own subjects who writes a great deal in Scripture, his name is the Apostle Paul. He writes to the church in Rome. He is writing to a group that's divided. He is trying to help them see what binds them together and what makes them more similar than, than different. And he is setting a tone for the whole thing. He says, some of you were born into a structure that you were raised religious. And some of you were born into a structure where you were raised into a very, a very wild pagan, you know, multicultural type of lifestyle that, that somehow in the midst of this that those of you who were born into a religious system came to Jesus. And those of you that were not came to Jesus. And, and I would suggest that if we look out in this room, some of you were born into a household where church was part of the story your whole life. I mean, the expression is is that, you know, some of the family members that, that, that I have seen throughout church life is that they cut their teeth on the on the hymnals at the and the Bibles at church, and they were in church, and it's really great, you know. When we hear babies cry here, I get excited because some people are being raised in church, amen. And then there are some of you that are like, "Man, I came to church sometime later in life. I came to Jesus and and figured out church after I came to Jesus." And that's exactly the picture of the Book of Romans. And there's a, a lot more to the historical context, and I don't I don't feel like it's necessary to unpack it this morning. But I would be glad to discuss it with with you at length, if you want to know more about everything that is happening in Rome at the time of this letter. But one of the king's subjects, his name is Paul, and you know him because he writes so much of the New Testament. He gets to this part of the letter that he's writing to them, and he says, as a result of your your not being as different as you think you are, he says, I want to tell you about something that's important for you to do. So we're going to find verse number one in chapter 12, and when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, reads this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to Scripture, we're reminded that it's not just about having you save and rescue us, but it's about the transformation that comes as a result of that that rescue. That this moment of opportunity, this grace that produces obedience in us, that it ought to transform us. I pray this morning that as we look to the passages, Lord, that we will be challenged. We will be challenged to be, we will be visible followers of you in our words, in our lives, in our actions, in such a way that the world around us will see you. I pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if I were to ask you some things that people were divided about, you could probably give me a whole list of things. You know, this morning, as, as we woke up, some of us you know, got to the, the opportunity to look over news, and, and some of you are excited about about. the the start of football season and week zero was yesterday and there was a handful of games kind of kicking the season off, but really next week is the big week, right? And I even commented in the lobby out here, be careful. You might turn your orange fingers, you know, blue. If you look at the football team I follow, people are like, what is happening? You know, some of you in this room are divided and I'm, I'm told historically this church, you know, OU fans sat on one side and OSU fans sat on the other. And if that's still the case, then, Let me tell you, just like the Apostle Paul said, there's no distinction between OU and OSU when it comes to Jesus. some of you are like, I don't agree, Brother Ben. Let me tell you, the Bible has something different to say. But man, we are divided about everything in our culture. Absolutely everything divides us. We are divided by politics. We are divided by medicine. We are dev- divided by, by the, the, the soda quality that people like, you know, zero calorie versus full calorie versus brands. So, I mean, we are divided over vehicle types. We are divided over everything. And we kind of get into these holy huddles and we get with a group of people that looks just like us, that likes just everything we like. And we think that we can't like the other side for some reason, that we can't love the other side for some reason. We think that we can't, for some reason, And Paul is just, he is just chiseling away at that. And he's like, your divisions, your distinctions between the two of you, it's broken and it's wrong. And as a result, he gets to this part of the book where he says, therefore, I beseech you, therefore. And he says, brethren, by the mercies of God, and he gives us this picture, you present your bodies, and he he encompasses the entire group. Doesn't matter if you came from a religious background or you came from a pagan background, you've come to Jesus now, you're with Jesus and that's what matters. The distinctions are behind you. Now you have this. He's like, you all now now to do this next thing. And he says a living sacrifice. That's what he says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Rusty Mott uh, was at launch launch camp a couple summers ago and and he said something I'll never forget. He says, one of the problems with living sacrifices is that they're always trying to crawl off the altar. The Apostle Paul said we ought to be living sacrifices and as a result, we ought to to desire to bring ourselves while we are cognitive of what we can offer him and bring that whole thing to him and let him have it. A living sacrifice is more than just okay, I'm spent, I'm used up, you can have what's left. Now, I could tell you some stories about what's left, and I don't want to embarrass or get anybody upset here. And, you know, before you hear me say anything else about this illustration, understand, we love you, we affirm you, but I know some folks over the course of 20-something years of being in church ministry that have used some things up and then thought, maybe the church could use this when I get to go get a new one. Man, if you can't say amen, right? I'm not telling you to run out and buy new stuff for the church. But what I'm saying is, is that your sacrifice means more when it's got life in it than when it's all used up. And he says, you need to be. And so point number one, if you're going to take notes today, is willingness to give a worthy sacrifice is the starting point. He is telling us that we've got to put our distinctions behind us. We need to give some of our life and vitality, if not all of it, to God. And I think what he would say is if you're going to make the sacrifice, then it's not yours anymore. So give everything to God, a living sacrifice. But we're bad about this where we say it and we get all caught up in the the feeling and the emotion of it. We're like, yes, I want to give this to Jesus. And then it's like a couple weeks later, you're like, do you think I could just give him some of that? And that living sacrifice is crawling off the altar. But the picture here is that the willingness is where we begin. So if you haven't already said yes in your heart to the possibility, you know, there's some dis- dis- distinguishing moments when we consider the magnitude of everything that it takes to be a living sacrifice. And one of those things is, is that we have to, to, to wrestle some of these things out. One of the things when people come to faith, they have to come to a place where they're like, I believe this, And I believe that was true about some of the people in Rome. They had believed in pagan idolatry. They had all these things that they worshipped. And they had to be willing to believe that what they had been believing was wrong. Some of what you believe might be wrong. Some of what you have invested in in your life might be completely 100% wrong. When it comes to the scripture and you read about it in scripture and the scripture tells you this piece was wrong, you ought to praise the Scripture and say, thanks be to God, now I know it was wrong, instead of trying to come and bring your argument to the Scripture and try to, try to reason with the Scripture to make the Scripture change. Because I will tell you, this book doesn't change. All it does is change you. The problem is, is that a willingness is where we begin. You know, if, if when we talk to people in our faith and some of the different tools we've used over the years... One of the things we ask, this one simple question, if you're wrong about what you believe, would you want to know? And if you really want to measure it out right now, answer that question. If you're wrong about what you believe, would you want to know? And if the answer is, well, of course. But I suggest to you that we might in theory think that's right, but most of us feel pretty strong in what we think we know. But if you rewind the clock, there was a whole group of people in the 1400s that just knew that this world was flat. I mean, it is suggested by, by one I mean, illustration years ago that I heard where they were gonna close the patent office in the early 1900s because they just didn't believe that anything else could possibly be invented. Some people believed that when that fax machine came online that, man, we couldn't get any faster than that. That was just about as fast as it could be, right? And now we're upset if we have to go and find a fax machine because they're not very fast anymore. Just think about the things that have changed and the things we knew were the end of the thing. You know, once upon a time, 55 miles an hour seemed like an outrageous amount of speed to go down the highway. A willingness to understand the things all around you are presented to you in such a way that they are challenging your belief system. But there's something beautiful about the way this is laid out because a willingness to give your worthy sacrifice being your starting point, we begin to read a little bit further in the passage. He goes on to say, not just a living sacrifice, he goes on to say, holy, acceptable to God. It's not just bringing to God that which is what you have. It's about bringing to God that which is best and that which is Acceptable. I don't think that we oftentimes ask ourselves this question, and this is very kind of into your, to your personal mind and dialogue. But at the end of the day, I want you to start asking yourself this question, and then I want you to ask God the question before you sleep. You ask yourself the question, did what I say and do today, was it acceptable to God? Do I believe that's true? And then ask God, God, was what I said today And what I thought and what I believed, was it acceptable? And I would think that oftentimes what we would find is some deep conviction that we might need to spend a few minutes in prayer before we sleep to say, Lord, forgive me where I wasn't acceptable before you today in such a way that when I sleep and I rise tomorrow, that I might be better, that I might be more acceptable before you, that I might be a living sacrifice with my words and thoughts and actions. And I suggest that when we look to the Scriptures, we see that that this is one of the things that we're supposed to give to God And then it says, which is your reasonable service? Man. Uh, Point number two, if you're taking notes. Oftentimes, and this is not the point, I'll I'll give you the point in just a second. Oftentimes we think that God, he asks too much. But based on what one of his very own followers who is crying out to a group, he says, this is not too much to ask. And so I would suggest that God has not asked us for too much. That's point number two, that God has not asked us for too much. You know, because when you measure out the magnitude of him being king over your behavior, if God has given you your life, and as a result, everything that you've built and, and everything that is predicated upon all of your successes and failures and every bit of acclamation of things, no matter how hard your work is, you couldn't do so without being here. And you can't be here without him, that it belongs to him. He has not asked you for too much. And what he's asked you for is for you just to give back yourself to him, that he might utilize you, your gifts, your talents, your resources in a way that glorifies him. But the problem is, is that we think of things as ours. When you start thinking of things as his, that will change the story. Your behavior will be forever changed. We're gonna talk about that in an upcoming week, but we get to this and some people are saying, which week, Brother Ben, I don't wanna come that week. I'm not telling you. We start thinking about our behavior and the terminology and that this life is his life, then it will transform us. It goes on to say, and verse number two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What a passage. Have you ever thought to yourself, and I have said this to many people, and it's good advice, but it's poorly placed, okay? There are times when you don't want to stick out, Right? I know that there have been a number of young, young men in, in the course of my life, and, and, I, and I don't exclude women, I just haven't dialogued with them before they launch into this, this career venture. But when somebody comes to me and says, Brother Ben, I've enlisted in the military and I'm going to boot camp, and you know what I'll tell them? I'll say, don't stick out. And they'll say, what do you mean by that? i said, if you stick out, you're going to find out. Everybody theres they're trying to shave you down and make you just look like a machine, just part of the, a cog in the machine. Don't stand out. If you stand out, you're going to get obliterated by your peers, by your superiors. You're going to have a hard time. And people are like, I wish somebody would have told me that. But the reality is, is when it comes to faith, if we look too much like the rest of the thing, that people wonder if this God thing even matters, if this Jesus and his death and his resurrection even matters. And so when we look to this, when it comes to things of a spiritual nature, being just like everyone else, acting just like everyone else, let me give you an example. You know what I, I mean? Some of you, I realize, okay, been guilty here, okay? Something upsets you at the register, in the store of whatever kind, and you're like, I want to talk to your manager, and you are losing your cool, guilty, and you are coming unglued, and people are looking at you like, people are watching you. But this just isn't right. This just isn't fair. This just doesn't seem reasonable, so I'm going to throw a fit. Don't ask about a copier conversation I had with a copier company At this very church, I was coming unhinged. I was like, what's happening here? Or even worse, when we get behind the digital screen and we have all this courage that doesn't really exist in our real life, but because we're behind a keyboard or behind a phone screen, and we start to typing out, and we are raging with people about our disagreements on the internet. I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone that comes to me, and I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know anybody that's ever come to me and said, Brother Ben, I was led to faith by somebody that argued with me on the internet for 13 days, It's actually the opposite. Hey, I don't agree with that. I still love you. We don't have to stop being friends because I don't agree with that. Do you want to know more about a different way? I'll be glad to share with you. But not the, hey, you know how wrong you are right now? And the digital courage that swells up in us. We oftentimes are so conformed to this world that we are a wreck. I want to look at a passage of scripture and you're welcome to turn there with me. I I know I pulled it up in presenter as well so you should be able to see it. But chapter 32 of Exodus, verse number one. I'm going to read a fistful of verses. This is a pretty rough story. Most of you are familiar with the context here. But verse number one, and I'm just going to blaze through all of this. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and they received the gold from their hand. he fashioned it with engraving tools and made a molded calf. And they said... This is your God. O Israel, That brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. Then they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, this is a very graphic scene, and I, I won't explain all of it or unpack all of it, but there's this moment where God has told Moses to come to the mountain And he wants to give him instructions to give to the people. And when Moses leaves, there's this vacuum, this absence of leadership in the moment. And what do they immediately do? They immediately start to think about everything that they had known before that moment and started to apply everything that they had in their context into this moment. And they started becoming more conformed to the world they knew, applying it to this world that they didn't. And there's lots of good stuff here, and I could probably spend a whole Sunday just on this passage. And and I might very well do that in the future, but there's something I want you to hear me say. The absence of good leadership in your home, in your spiritual journey, will affect the people of your home and your community. And what will happen is, is they will immediately start looking for something to worship. They will immediately start looking for something to to idolize. They will immediately begin to replace God with whatever because they will find whatever they can find to worship it. It is is no small mystery why why families struggle. Because once upon a time, Bible reading was a big part of every family, and now it's part of no families. It was part of schooling. You know, you go back and you look at the history of school education in America. Part of the, 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 the rote expectation is, is that the students were expected to do so much Bible reading in their classes. And you're like, that's the America before our grandparents. We began to look here and we began to realize that what happens when missing a week of church becomes missing a month of church, becomes missing a half a year of church and then longer. And we wonder why. Our families worship anything but God. why they value everything but their Creator, and they will, they will gather their wealth and they will build for themselves something, and they will worship it. And it will lead them anywhere but to God. The, the most beautiful thing that happens in verse number seven says, "And the Lord said to Moses, "Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And there's a, there's a message for you here, a message for me, and that is, God is not ignorant when we are absent from His leadership. He knows when we wander. He knows when we stray. And when you see this passage in Romans that we're looking at this morning, and we'll go back there now, we get this opportunity for us to see something. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot think of what the world has has worshipped as what you should worship, or that you can take this thing that Jesus is and smash him into that and make it make sense. There's actually an expression that we're taught when I was in school in some of my missions training is the world, word is called syncretism In this, when you take two belief systems and you wed them together and you make them one thing. And I think that oftentimes we forget that Jesus is calling us out. He's calling us to be something different, other. And in doing so, what he's offering for us is an opportunity to give our lives to him which isn't too much of him to ask, by the way, and being completely transformed in what we think, what we do, and how we act. He goes on to say in the same verse that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, in this moment, you're gonna get a challenge here to take some ownership over being part of the proof. You know, I was a student in high school and we had to do these 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 unending number of of proofs when i was in in one of my math classes and you're just you're just working these processes and you're proving the the statements or disproving the statements and you're just you're just wearing yourselves out and you used to think to myself what am i ever going to use this on sometimes i wonder the exercises that we practice as believers that that our children and our on our our peers inside of church are wondering why we do these, these repetitive things in church because we wonder, what am I ever going to use this for? Because these things sometimes are challenging and they're hard and they're, they're a measure of discipline and they're a measure of following a process or a procedure and they're a measure of us investing ourselves into being a living sacrifice and saying there are boundaries to this altar we have brought ourselves to, let's stay here. And instead, what we prove is that this doesn't have as big a hold on us as we think it does when we act just like the world around us. And we, we have completely neglected our responsibility in proving anything. It says that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're the proof that the world is looking for. I'm the proof the world is looking for. They are watching us. They want to see if we are just like them or if it's something different. And when they see something different, it is fascinating to me. I'll never forget it. Living in an opportunity, in a, in a life setting that I never would have thought I would have been in. I wanted so desperately to go and study, to follow Jesus and, and sur- surrender to this call. And I couldn't afford to be there anymore. And the dean of the school said, hey, I know of a roofing company that's looking for people. And I said, well, I need a job. And you know what they did? They sent me halfway across the United States and I went up to the Northeast. And so a couple days after Christmas, they put me on an airplane and, I, and there I am to work. And you know, after living with these guys, for just a short period of time one of them stops and he is kind of salty with me and he looks right at me and he says there's something different about you and I said well I am a little taller than some of you and he says no there's something different about you and I said I, okay and he says you're one of those Christians aren't you and I said was it that obvious? And it changed the conversation completely. And I remember having these neat moments where people would say things to me. I had a boss one day who was really frustrated because of the weather. You know, it's hard to do roofing when it's snowing, when it's raining. And I remember one day we were working hard, but the forecast says it's going, we're just gonna get obliterated. And we had brought on another crew because we were behind schedule. And my boss looks at this other guy, this other form, and he says, well, you should talk to that guy right there. He's the one that knows the guy upstairs. And they looked at me, and I just shrugged and smiled. And and it was lunchtime, and I just just prayed. I said, Lord, I said, they want to know if you can control the weather. We worked the rest of the day with not a drop of rain. And as I walked out of of the work that day when we got ready to get off the roof, I looked at them and said, how's the weather? And those guys looked at me, and they just eyes as big as saucers, and they're like, I don't know what just happened. You're the proof. If you say you'll pray for someone, pray for someone. If you say you'll pray about something, pray about it. If you believe this, then you'll do what it says. It goes on in the chapter. It tells us a whole laundry list of things that we should consider. Point three, by the way, and something for your note-taking before I spill over into the next verses. Fitting in doesn't prove that we have a king. Being different proves that we have a king. Being a subject to the crown means obeying him and understanding that people around us want to know more. We get to chapter 12, verse number 9, and the subheading, if you're looking, it's not scripture, but it's just a title heading in mine. It says, behave like a Christian. And it goes on, and it's all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honoring, or excuse me, an honor-giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord therefore. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he has thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so you will heap coals of fire on your on his head, excuse me. It says, Do not overcome, be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. And he just gives this list. And there, there are many verses in the, in the New Testament that we could lean on for behavior. But he just he tells us to be a living sacrifice. He tells us to make an acceptable gift to God. He makes sure that we understand that it's not too much that we could ask for. It's reasonable. And he says, and this is how we prove to the world. And he says, and this is something that we don't do very good. Wouldn't it be something if, when people thought of the collection of believers that was here and every church, that we know and we, that we are in, in support of, that wouldn't it be something if when people talked about us, what they would say is those people believe that book and they follow it. And it would make them want to know what was in the book. And I'll tell you what's in the book. The book is a pathway for you to know, for you to know Jesus as Savior, to understand what it means to have him first rescue you, but then become your king it would mean that you could have instructions for how to guide you through every awful situation and have something to lean on. And a collection of people who believe this would have something in common so that when they gathered to sing, they would sing like they had been redeemed. And they would tell the world through their worship. And they would, it would be evident in their behavior. So when you go to lay down tonight, you'll ask yourself this question. Lord, have I done what is acceptable in your sight? And if the answer is no, Lord, forgive me and help me that tomorrow I might do what's acceptable in your sight. Well, how do you feel today? Do you feel like you're living an acceptable life? Do you maybe need to come and and, and pray to God and ask him to forgive you? But maybe you're in this place and you're saying to yourself, I have followed Jesus my whole life or at least I have claimed his salvation, but man, I haven't really ever done what's in this book. And maybe today the invitation starts with you coming and just crying out to God and asking God to help you be a part of this. But also, furthermore, more intently, if you're in this place and you don't know who this God is, this Jesus the Scripture describes, the one who calls us to be living sacrifices, I, I just can't tell you that your life will not just be different, but it will be altered from the very soles of your feet to the ends of your hair. Come talk to me today. I would love to share more with you. I would love to invite you to know him as king. And a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to do that very thing. I pray and I hope that when we stand in a moment that we would begin to to face God in heaven above and we would ask him, God, before before we remember you, your sacrifice, Lord, I hope you'll be pleased with my life and my actions. I hope I've been acceptable to you. All the while wanting from him, all the while living our lives however we so choose. Let it be without hypocrisy, amen. Would you stand with me today? And as you stand, would you bow your heads? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that when we come to Scripture, we are challenged by those who follow you who write, by us who read it together and share it. Lord, looking to the passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and the New, being reminded that this is not a new struggle or a new battle that people who who are called by you to follow you, have struggled with. I pray this morning that we would see you as king over every part of our behavior, our speech, our thoughts, our watching, our reading, our doing, our living, our being. Lord, I just ask that we would come running at you to say help us with all of these things. Lord, and I plead with you for those who don't know you, who, who maybe have never come to you, who are not yet in this family, that they might be thirsty, And hungry for it in a way that they could be satisfied today with the salvation that comes from having you as king lord not not just someone to rescue us but someone to lead us as well both lord we ask for this today we ask for this for those who know you and those who do not we ask for this in jesus name amen